Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Please open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 8. Let's continue our worship by hearing from the Word of God. Acts 19, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of, of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them. And the name of the Lord was extolled. Also many of those who were believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So... The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And God bless the reading of His holy word. That uh, last verse in verse 20, the word of the Lord, the gospel, as we've seen in Acts, the gospel, as it moved from Jerusalem to Judea, Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, uh, it prevailed mightily. It, it spread. It increased. It spread from that house to that village, to that town, to that city, to that region, to that continent. It prevailed mightily. It changed lives. The gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ changes lives, saves people, delivers from death and hell. God saves people through His gospel. The gospel is the power of God, salvation for all who believe. Uh, this is a beautiful summary statement. If you've kept track through the book of Acts, this is the sixth summary statement in Acts. Paul is, uh, or Luke, the author Luke has organized his text around these summary kind of, um, hey, this has happened, this has happened, let's praise God for what He's done kind of moments. He's meant it to be an encouragement to us that the gospel that we preach, the gospel that we share, the gospel that we love people with, that it changes lives, that it overcomes and delivers, rescues, and saves. I, I come to this text and, uh, boy, I so badly want to see our region find Jesus Christ. So glad we want to see our people, the people that we go to work with, the people that we shop with, the people that live next door, find Jesus Christ to be saved and rescued and delivered unto heaven. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 
Uh, I, th I think Luke, the way he's put this, this text together in the, in the sequence, he's put it in, in this book, he wants us to see what effective mission is. He wants us to come to grips with how are we being effective in our mission. He wants us to practice the things that have been portrayed chapter by chapter and verse by verse uh, through this historical book. So he calls it to us, calls us to it in this text. Uh, we've, uh, we've gone to Ephesus, uh, the, the, a huge city, uh, the capital city uh, of southwest Turkey, modern-day southwest Turkey, a commercial center, a religious center, uh, a, a, a crossroads of, of the, wor the ancient world in so many ways, um, one of the greatest buildings that was ever built in the ancient times is in Ephesus, the Temple of Artemis, uh, seven, one of the seven wonders of the world. People come from all over the world to see the temple and to buy little trinkets, buy shrines, buy statues of the goddess Artemis. People are enslaved, people are lost, people are headed to hell. Paul comes in and he's preaching, he's lifting up the name of Jesus Christ and people are being saved. Could that happen here? Could our, our community meet Jesus Christ? Could our people be convinced to convert, to come into the reign of the King? They can be. Uh, how do you go about having an effective mission? How do you move forward in this, this ministry of the gospel? What I'm impressed by about the Apostle Paul was, uh, well, there, it's been said several times through Acts, his, his strat, he was strategic. He used tactics. He, he was persuasive. He loved people. Uh, we see here, if you look at verse 8, he entered the synagogue strategy. We've seen that since the first missionary journey. We saw it in the second missionary journey. And now in the third missionary journey, he's still doing the same thing. He's entering the synagogue because it's an open door. It's an entry point. It's a place where he's welcomed as a rabbi. He's welcomed as a Jewish teacher. And he goes there and he, he uses the opportunity, the open door, to share Jesus Christ. Uh, strategically speaking, what is your strategy? What, what is your a movement of the gospel? How are you delivering the gospel? How are you bringing the truth to life? How are you entering people's lives with the hope of sharing salvation, sharing the message of Jesus Christ with them? Uh, if, if we don't have a strategy, typically in all parts of our life, uh, things happen sometimes, and they happen in good ends, but they often don't happen very well, or we don't reach our goals or achieve our, 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 our ends. Thinking about how we're going to go about sharing the gospel is, is a big deal. What's our, what's our game plan for the next few weeks? As you travel this summer, maybe you're going to see that, that person, uh, a relative, a family member, you're going on vacation. How are you going to strategically use your time, your life, your, your words to bring Jesus to them? Uh, Paul was strategically involved. Uh, I, I think we see through this text, he started off in a synagogue and he preached for three months, which was rather a long time, uh, because sooner or later there would be obstinance, there would be rejection, and, and, and um, you know, I'm done with, I don't want to hear the gospel anymore, Paul. As soon as that door closed, that he would move into the Gentile arena. He would leave the synagogue where there were God fears and Jewish men, uh, the families. Uh, he would he'd say, okay, I'm, I'm done, I'm moving on to the next place. Maybe you've been strategically trying to share the gospel again and again the same way for years. And maybe long ago your effectiveness stopped. Long ago people stopped hearing the gospel. Uh, over, just as an example, there's been seasons where I've really tried to, on, on Facebook, put some posts out there that are evangelistically, uh, the heart of it is, is evangelism, is, is bringing the gospel to people. And there's been times of fruit. There's been times I've been, been able to interact with people and talk about Jesus and call them to faith. It's been effective, but other times it's obvious that only the believers are responding, <laughs> that only the believers are interacting, and the people that are on my, my friends list that are lost, 
They, they've shut me down. They don't want to hear it anymore. And so I've, I've stopped and tried to move on to other things. Strategically, how are you bringing your mission, your calling, your, your commission to bring Jesus to people? How are you going about it? Uh, Paul was strategic. He, it says here he went to the, uh, the hall of, uh, let me find it here, the, the, the word is great, uh, Tyrannus. You know, like Tyrannosaurus Rex? Uh, any pregnant moms here? Tyrannus might be a great name, again, to use. Uh, it, it means tyrant, right? Now, I don't think his mom, I really named him that. I imagine it's a nickname. Hey, tyrant, come here. You know, maybe that describes your kid. <laughs> but it's, uh, but the Hall of Ty- Ty- Tyrannus, uh, he, it, you know, it's one of those names that's really, but, but he had this, this lecture hall. Apparently, the Gentile guy. And they would typically use it from, I don't know, like 7 in the morning till 11. It would be this school. that, that There would be maybe different, different uh, applications in the culture, in the society. But Paul apparently rented it. He said, I'm in this big city of Ephesus, this hub city, where people are coming all the time. And, and maybe if I start a Bible college... Um, you know, people want to know about things. Uh, you know, maybe I'm a novelty. Maybe I start this school, and, and maybe from like 11 to 4, it was their siesta time. The, the, the Ephesians, they would take this long break in the middle of the day, like many cultures do in, in the Mediterranean and different places. And then they'd go to work again from like 4 o'clock to 9.30 or 10 at night. That was their schedule. So Paul says, I have this open window. Let me start this, 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 this school. It's a different strategy. And lo and behold, he did that for two years, almost every day. Now, think about that. Think about and the passion of the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was sold out for the gospel. He really wanted to see lives changed. He was a tent maker, you know, from, from 7 to 11 in the morning. He'd uh, make tents. He'd make a living that way. He'd pay the bills. And then from 11 to 4, perhaps, uh, and, and we're getting this from, from a... There, there's one strand of the ancient text that isn't reflective in the ESV here, that, this, that, that brings this out, this, this time frame thing. But he, he, it seems to me like he'd go to work for four or five hours, tent making. He'd go to lecture. He'd go teach for four or five hours. And then he'd go back to work like everyone else. And he kept this up for, for years. Uh, the, the zeal, the passion, the, 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 the pouring out of his life for the benefit of others. Uh, we Americans, we hear that and we're like, yeah, <laughs> that's not me. I mean, we, we seem to exist for our own pleasure. We seem to exist sometimes for our own outcomes and our own desires and our own ends. We've been taught to chase that rabbit of getting that, that mortgage or getting that, that success or getting that, that life that is in the commercials. And Paul had a totally different orientation. The reason why people aren't getting saved, you know, from one, one side of things, the reason why we aren't seeing a movement of the gospel, uh, lots and lots of people uh, coming to Christ, is we aren't sharing the gospel. We aren't, uh, we aren't living a life that's seeking to bring the gospel to people. We, we, we don't, that doesn't enter our, 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 our purpose, our, our meaning, or our, our, our passion. And so it's not happening. But Paul, I mean, how did the, the word of God prevail? How did the word of God bear fruit? How did the word of God transform lives? Well, it was being heard. You know, the gospel, once it's heard, once it, it's brought before people, the Spirit of God takes over. When, when people hear the gospel, man, there's, there's mysterious and wonderful things that happen in people's hearts as the Spirit of God preaches to them. So Paul, is, is, he's, he's strategic, and he's, he's, he's looking for different ways to do it. Now, during this time, uh, just to kind of set up the book of Ep- the Revelation, when we get to our Revelation sermon series, Paul, it says in the province of Asia. Now, that's not Asia like Japan and Philippines and China kind of a thing. It's a Roman province called Asia. It's southwest kind of Turkey, a big chunk of Turkey. Um, when we get to the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches, as it were, they're all in this region. And so what, what's happening is, is there's people coming in from the country, from these villages and these towns, to, and, and through time maybe word's getting out, hey, there's this, there's this guy, preacher, in, in Ephesus, you got to go see him while you're in town. But then he'd send out, he had all these assistants, all these helpers, all these workers. They would go over that course of two years into the rural areas. 
they'd, they'd reach out to that village, and they'd reach out to that village, and they'd reach out. I remember when I was living in the Philippines, that's what we did as missionaries. We had this hub church, and we'd go out to the barangays. We'd go out to the barrios and try to share. And sometimes it was effective, sometimes it was not, but we were taking the gospel to those places, not waiting for them to come. Paul and his team are doing both and. But they go to, go to Pergamum. You know, they, they, they go to these different places out there that we read about in the book of Revelation. It was at, the, at this time, the early 50s ADs, that all these churches were planted and all these churches were started because the gospel was being taken and the gospel was passionately being preached and shared. And, and thousands and thousands of lives were saved. Thousands and thousands of lives, we're going to meet them in heaven, souls in heaven one day when we get there because of the work of the gospel being shared and proclaimed. The gospel prevailed over the, the idolatry. The gospel prevailed over the worldviews that were false. The gospel prevailed over sin and darkness as it was preached and proclaimed. But notice, uh, not only was he strategic, man, his heart was in it. It it says here, he entered the synagogue, he spoke boldly. (laughs) Now, now boldly, passionately. It wasn't like a dead fish kind of a presentation. It wasn't like, hey, here's the gospel, take it or leave it, you losers. It was was like, uh, you know, sometimes we get our theology so ahead of us that, that... we forget the heart of it. We get, forget the, the passion of it. Like, we're, we're dealing with real people who are really lost, who really need to be saved. He, he spoke boldly, reasoning, persuading them, verse 8, about the kingdom of God. Uh, <clears throat> some became stubborn, it says, but passionately reasoning and proclaiming the gospel. He, he, and, and it says about the kingdom of God, we, and I, I should tell you that Luke has a literary uh, flavor to him. He, he alters the way he talks about the gospel. It's the same gospel, but here he, he phrases it in a sense as, as Paul went into the synagogue and talked to these Jews. Uh, one of the big themes that was on their heart was the coming of the kingdom of God. When is the kingdom of God coming? When is the kingdom of God going to arrive? When is the Messiah, the King, going to come? And so he's, he's, he, his preaching is the same. It's always the same. It's always, it's always the, you know, God has this big plan. God is redeeming the world. God's bringing the world back to himself. He's, he's reconciling the world back to himself. He's winning it back to himself. He's going to bring his kingdom. His kingdom's going to come. And, and, and because you're a sinner, you're not going to be part of it. You know, he, he had different ways of talking about it. Because you're a sinner, you cannot be part of the kingdom of God. You cannot enter God's holy kingdom as you are. You're dead in your trespasses, you're dead in your sins. You're lost because of your wickedness. You're separated from God. And this, this, this gospel message, God's world, He's bringing it back into Himself. He's bringing it, He's restoring it. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, He started a new work of, of bringing a new world about. And one day He's going to bring His kingdom, but you can't be part of it because you're a sinner. He'd preach this, but he said, God's kingdom, man, it started because the king has come. His name is Jesus. He's the Messiah that you've been waiting for. He's the Lord that you've been praying for. He's the one you've been hoping for. He's come, and the Christ is Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. And the wild thing about this, sinner, the wild thing about this, you have violated God's commands. You have fallen short of the glory of God. He's made a way for you to be saved. He's made a way for you to be reconciled to God. And then you go into the cross, right? You go into Jesus' life, a perfect sinless life, but Jesus suffering on behalf of sinners. Jesus going to the cross, dying in the place of sinners, paying the price, taking their sins upon Him and dying. The wrath of God poured upon Him. His blood shed in their place where they should have died. Paul preaching to this, these synagogue people, you should have died. You are guilty. You're condemned. You're on death row. You're going to be executed. But because God wants you in his kingdom, because God wants to save you, Jesus came and paid your wages. He paid your price he, that, that you deserved, that you, that you earned. 
death. His death instead of your death. And through faith in him. And, and Paul would always, you know, regardless of how it's presented, he'd always say, man, this Jesus calls you to life. This Jesus calls you to believe in him. This Jesus calls you to trust in him. To put your faith in him as your savior, as your rescuer, as your deliverer. And all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. All who trust in him will be saved, forgiven of sins. And, the, and Paul's preaching in, in the book of Acts, as Luke reports it, is always, forgiveness of sins can be yours if you trust in Jesus. Right? And so this gospel goes out powerfully. And, and I think sometimes, maybe when we share the gospel, it's, it's like maybe we share the four spiritual laws or the Romans road, or, or the different illustrations that we use on napkins or whatever, and sometimes it becomes so mechanical. And so just the facts that we're not persuading them. We're not invested. We're not like, man, I, can do, I want to do everything to win you. I, w- I want to do everything, the, the, the emotions, the heart, the, the zeal, like, man, you got to be saved. Please don't leave this life without being saved. Please don't be lost forever. Don't be separated from God. He calls you to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Repent of your sins and believe, and you will be saved. Uh, we, we, we see this, this man, he's reasoning. Imagine for two years, his, his heart's going out. For the, for the Gentiles, for the people of Ephesus, he's, 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 he's rationalizing with them. He's using all of his logic, all of his intellect, all of his skills. He's answering all their questions. He's doing everything he can, seeking to persuade them to come to Jesus Christ. He's trying to convince them to convert. You know, I, I, the gospel, how do we have an effective mission? Yeah, we, we think strategically. How are we going to... How are we going to meet people? How are we going to, are we going to invite them over to our house? Are we going to go into their, their business? Are we, going to, are we going to put ourselves into their, their life in some way, strategically, so we can get close? But then, but then this, this, the sharing of the gospel. Man, am I, uh, do I really want to see them believe? Do I really want to see them come to faith? Paul did. The, uh, the classic text to see his heart and, and see how he contextualized things, how he put things into position, how he worked so hard to see people come to Christ is 1 Corinthians 9, verse, uh, verse 18. We'll start in verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Uh, he's talking about you know, how, how he, could, he was a Jew, but he, didn't have to, he wasn't under the law anymore. He could, he could act in Jewish ways. He could, he could act as a Gentile, but listen to his heart. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Like, like, isn't that an incredible statement? Like, these people are lost, and I'm going to become the man I need to be for their sake. I'm going to adjust my life to their life. I'm going to become a servant to them to win them. I mean, that's passion, that's zeal, that's, that's a heart that we often don't have. To the Jews, it became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. In other words, I, I, he, he lived by their customs. He lived by their language. He, he moved in their, their rhythms, even though legal, he wasn't legalistic about it. He didn't have to do it, but he submitted himself to it. So he, he, was, he could eat any food now in, in the New Covenant, in the New, te- you know, in the new Covenant world. But he, he ate their foods to, to bend his, his life to them so, to better communicate the gospel to them so they wouldn't be offended. To those under the law, I became one as under the law, though not my, being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Like, I became like a Gentile. So I, if, if they were offended by my dress, if they were offended by some of the language I used, I changed my language to accommodate them, to move into their rhythm, to move into their life. Uh, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Then I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Well, what a big deal. Now, Paul knows he can't save anybody. 
he's using emotive language. He's like, man, we want to see them one so bad. I'm going to do everything I can to see them one to Christ. I'm going to seek to persuade them, seek to convince them to convert whatever I need to do to adjust to them so they can hear the gospel. If I'm using highfalutin church language and they don't get it, I adjust to them. If, if, I, if, I'm have, if I feel like I'm dressing differently from them and they, they, they feel like distance, I'm going to dress like them to be in their world because they matter to God. I need to see them saved. And you see the heart, you see the passion, you see the zeal. I mean, I see this man strategically, but he's working. He's, he's doing this tent-making stuff with the, for the sake of bringing the gospel. It's not about his retirement plan. It's not about his vacation plans. It's not about his future. It's about the gospel. And he's doing everything because people matter to God. He's, he's or, or, organizing his life around the gospel being shared because he knows by the gospel being shared, people hear the gospel by the power of God. Their eyes are open, and they come to faith in Christ. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The Apostle Paul was about effective mission. Um, are, are we on anywhere near that kind of level of mission? Let's be honest with one another. Let's be honest with our hearts. Let's be honest with the way we're living our life. Oftentimes, no. Oftentimes, we're working 60, 70 hours uh, in a job for the end of a paycheck, for the end of paying off the mortgage, for the end of whatever. And uh, we've been trained that way our whole life. You start in school, you go to school, so you get good grades, so you can get a good job, so you can go to a good college, so you get a good degree, so you can make a lot of money, so it can be all about you. And the gospel is so counter to that. The gospel is so counter to American values in so many ways. Because it calls us to die to self for the sake of others. Like Jesus Christ died for us to save us and to win us. And uh, I, I freely confess there's sometimes I'm so selfish and so, so organized around me and my pleasures that I don't take the gospel. But maybe, maybe if we're going to see our community one to Christ, if we're going to see people transformed and saved, maybe there's some of us that will rise above the worldly values that surround us, rise above the American dream, start living by God's dreams, start seeing things from God's sight and start seeing things from God's heart and answer the call and go in Jesus' name. So the, the Paul is, is this, Luke is looking at Paul and like, wow, here's effective mission. But notice it doesn't, Paul isn't the be, be all and end all and you and I aren't the be all and end all. Really, we're just tools in the hands of the master. Really, we're just implements that are tied onto his work. He, by his grace, calls us to partner with him. He, by his grace, calls us to serve him, and he uses us for his glory. Verse 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or the aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had, the same, who had evil spirits. And it goes on from there. Uh, we, um, this is a, a move of God, isn't it? Any church that has started, it's always started and it's always been built and it's always come about because God is at work. Uh, God is the one who initiates the mission. God is the one who initiates uh, believers to share the gospel. God is always starting things. God is always, he's the starter, he's, he's the finisher, he's the power behind anything that happens in a church. Any, any, any way, anytime the church is alive and anytime the church is, is moving with the gospel, anytime that the people's lives are being changed, God is the reason. It's, it's, it's his work. Uh, we, we see here, it's really, it's really uh, kind of an interesting thing. Um, and I, let, me, let me explain a little bit. The setting matters. The contextualization of, of what's happening here matters. Ephesus was this uh, religious center, right? They had this great temple, the greatest Artemis of Ephesus, you know, was, was the saying back then. 
You know, the, the Muslims say certain things certain ways. We Christians say certain things certain ways. The Buddhists say thir- certain, certain things about the deity and the divine certain ways. Their thing was, great as Artemis of Ephesus, right? But, but there's, a whole, there's a whole bigger picture there. Uh, Ephesus was an animistic town. And what I mean by that, uh, animistic, polytheistic town. Like the polytheism, many, many gods, many local gods, many Roman gods. They're all venerated and honored. But the animism, it's this, this idea that there's spirits all over the place. There's benevolent spirits and evil spirits that are lurking everywhere in your, in, around you in, in your town. They had this idea that, that life was about um, how the spirits were affecting you, how, how the demons were affecting you, how, how the different terms to use, the forces of, of the, the realm uh, out there are affecting you. And your, the way you lived your life, the way you, you practiced, um, you know, taking care of your family, ha- blessing your business, having kids, et cetera, et cetera, you had to, you had to make sure the, the spirits weren't attacking you. You had to make sure that the spirits weren't against you. You had to cre- create something in your life or create some kind of a pattern of living where you, you made sure the spirits liked you. <laughs> in other words, you, you found ways of manipulating the spirits. Or, or appeasing the spirits, or getting the spirits to do blessings upon you. That's, that was their worldview. That was the setting. They, they, they maybe had a view of a high God, but the high God was, was way out there somewhere and didn't care through some of the Greek philosophers, like the deistic kind of thing where he set the world up, but he left, and maybe there's a providential work of, of the divine in our life, but the real, the real action was around us. And so God worked through the Apostle Paul, in such a way that the local people could get it, that the local people could see it, that the local people said, yeah, this Jesus is more powerful. This Jesus is greater. This Jesus is, wow, he's so much higher than the spirits we've been working with. Uh, And so that's why the extraordinary miracles. How can a miracle be extraordinary? Isn't that, that strange? Uh, like, miracles are, are extraordinary by definition. Miracles are rare by definition. They're out of the ordinary. And so Paul say, or Luke's saying, through Paul, God did extraordinary miracles. What he means by that is uh, miracles that aren't typical. Uh, sometimes people look at the book of Acts and they see it as a blueprint for how things should go. So back in the 80s and 90s, maybe before then, I don't know, maybe back uh, when the televangelist world started, uh, people look at the book of Acts and they say, hmm, maybe, uh, maybe in my evangelistic ministry, I can send out uh, prayer rugs. Or I can send out handkerchiefs chiefs that I've touched. And maybe if you send me a $15 donation, you'll get a blessing if, if you have faith in this rug or faith in this, this, this hanky <laughs> or whatever. And it was really uh, oftentimes a manipulation of people they, they read something in the book of Acts, and they say, well, that could happen now. So if the preacher, the big guy, big hair guy on, t- on TV says that, that, that if, I, if I have faith in this little thing he sent me for a $15 donation, I'll, I'll have miracles done in my life. Um, and so it's, uh, over time, people have been ripped off with a lot of money, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of crazy things have happened because of, there's this unique situation in Acts where God was working with a unique people, a very superstitious people, an animistic people that saw spirits everywhere. There's a, there's a spirit under that rock. There's a spirit behind that guitar. There's all these things happening. And so God wanted to let them know through the Apostle Paul that the gospel is true and the, the, the miracles were done as a validation of the gospel message. The, the miracles were done to show them that what Paul was saying was true. And so he did great things. And, and Paul, Paul didn't market his, his hankies or his sweat rags. That's what it's about. When it says, you know, uh, his handkerchief. So he's, he's, he's doing his tent-making stuff, and he's wearing this apron. He's, he's got this sweat rag. You know, you've been in different cultures where people are working. They've got, like, afterwards, maybe someone would sneak in and grab that rag, like, thinking that it was divine somehow. They go sell it somewhere, or they go use it somewhere. That, Paul wasn't trying to market that. <laughs> Or anything, but God condescended. God accommodated Himself to those people who were superstitious, and He allowed this these miracles to happen. He used this power to bring people to faith. In the sense of, wow, I hired those exorcists 
to get the demon, get that spirit out of my daughter, and they couldn't do nothing but this Jesus. I even take a, a, hank, a, a sweat rag from the Apostle Paul, and, and they, they, they thought that it carried some kind of a holiness or some kind of a power, and they, they touched that rag to their daughter, and the demon fled. They're like, wow. God allowed that to happen because he wanted those people to trust in Jesus. Not a typical miracle for us, not a typical thing for us because we're of, of a vastly different culture than they are, a vastly different worldview that we have than they had. Nevertheless, God did it. And that, that's where the seven sons of Sceva come in. Uh, if you were a Jewish evangelist, um, oftentimes there was this, uh, this, this syncretism that would happen, like a mixing of two religions. It happens today. You see the world uh, full of Muslims or full of Buddhists. Wherever you go, there's this syncretism. It's not a pure, pure Islam and a pure Buddhism. It's like, like this Islam that's mixed with this animism or this Buddhism that's mixed with an animism where the real, real powers in the spirits. The same thing today is, is back then, uh, a mixed mix, a hollow hollow of different beliefs uh, that going on. The Jewish evangelists like, well, yeah, we're Jewish people and, and we can make some money on this though kind of deal. Uh, you know, like, we, we, we know secret names of God. That's how they market themselves. All, all the, the Hebraic names of, for Yahweh in the Old Testament are all the ways that they talked about God. And they would invoke these names, and they'd, they'd use it, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll get rid of that, 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 that spirit for, you know, 20 shekels <laughs> or whatever, right? And people misusing the name of Jesus even today to make money. It's, it's tragic, but it happens preying on people's fears and preying on their anxieties and preying on their, their, uh, their, their, their hurts and pains. So they, oh man, Paul's, Paul's having some success with this name Jesus. Let's use that name. Let's use that name. Let, let's, let's bring that name in. And, and man, we can make a lot more money if, if we get this power. And it, you know, Because sometimes we're not very effective. Maybe we get this new name, this new divine name. Because in the ancient way of thinking, the name of the, 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 the deity, the divine name, if you could know that and use it, you could overcome spirits that were less powerful. That was the worldview. So they try it, and what happens? <laughs> the demon says, hey, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but I don't know you. And he beats the crud out of them. So there's a supernatural knowledge that the demonic world has and maybe sometimes a supernatural power, and they run. But you know what happens in the culture? What happened in the culture there was suddenly all these people, these animistic people that had the belief in all kinds of spirits and all kinds of gods, suddenly Jesus' name is exalted in their minds. Uh, the ESV says extolled. Other translations say magnified. Man, they see that, that, that the demons know Jesus Remember in the Gospels, whenever the demons inhabiting people would see Jesus, they'd fall on the face. We know who you are, the Son of God. You know, they'd fall down in fear. They knew who Jesus was. And so the people are like, wow, this Jesus must be powerful. This Jesus must be incredible. And he is, right? And he, and he, and he, and he is today. But uh, uh, that, that, that word got out. God used the Gospel to bring people to life. God worked through, now, uh, how, how effective mission is the gospel is shared. But effective mission is the belief that God is always at work ahead of us. God is always at work in Alamosa. God always is at work at your workplace here. He's going to work maybe in different ways. Maybe he doesn't do these extraordinary miracles, but he's working in people's lives. Effective mission we know that the gospel must go forth. We're sharing the gospel passionately and strategically, but we also believe, we, we act in faith that he's at work in the hearts and minds of people. Regardless of what, what we say, we don't have the golden tongue, we don't have the, all the articulate ways, the, the rhetorical ways of bringing people to belief, but God is the worker. God is the, the, the deliverer, the rescuer. Just, just a few quick scriptures along those lines, just to confirm you, uh, to, that you that you realize this and that you know this. Uh, John 15, 5, a famous passage. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now you could have the most articulate gospel presentation, the most passionate, zealous, you have the best strategy, but if God isn't at work, it's going to come to nothing because God saves 
Our calling is, is to bring the gospel as passionately, as persuasively, and as strategically as po- possible into people's lives so they can be saved out of love and our, our heart and our zeal. But God is the one who overcomes. Uh, notice uh, in this passage, this section of John 14 through 16, it talks about the Spirit of God a lot as the instigator, as the worker, as the, as the effective power behind our gospel presentation. Look at chapter 16, verse 8. John chapter 16, verse, verse 8. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus was, when Jesus ascended to heaven, He promised to send the Spirit upon the church. So in verse 8 it says, And when He comes, uh, He will convict the world concerning sin, concerning, telling the world, you know, working in their hearts and their minds to let them know they're sinners. He's going to convict, convict the world concerning sin and of righteousness, convict them that they're not righteous, but they need righteousness. They need righteousness to be with God in heaven and convict them of the coming judgment, that, that the judgment's going to come and they better get ready, that, that, that they're, they're lacking. If they don't have the righteousness of Christ, if they, don't, if they aren't justified, if they aren't saved, when the judgment comes, they have no hope outside of Christ. So the, the Spirit of God is the one who works. And I just tell you that effective mission, uh, man, are, are, are we strategically, passionately, zealously looking for people to share the gospel with? Are, are we pouring our lives out for them, for God's glory, and for, but for the sake of people? Are, are, we, are we a people that, man, you need to be saved. I'll do anything to see you saved. I want to see you one to Christ. We try to convince people so that they convert. But we, we do this with the idea. Uh, isn't it interesting? When do miracles happen, typically? In the Bible, uh, they usually come during times of of great revelation, like like the changing from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Some some of the seasons in the the Scriptures, uh, very, very strong in the revelation of God, a a message was coming that people didn't even hear. The the miracles would happen in conjunction with that, with the idea of proclamation being verified. Um, Same for us. When, when does God do big things in people's lives? When, when, do God, when does God open their, their eyes? When, when does God move in, in special ways? It's typically when people are sharing the gospel with them. When, when people are going out, when, when do we see God do incredible things, connect the dots for people, you know, uh, answer prayer in, in special ways? It's usually when the church is, is outward focused, when the church is reaching out to people and, and proclaiming Jesus. God loves to meet people in His proclamation of His glory. God loves to meet people and show them His power when He's being exalted. When we witness, that's when there's a lot of um, divine things that happen. God doesn't. Uh, I, God works according to His plan and His purpose, and He's going to use the church that He wants to use and the people He wants to use. But man, it doesn't seem that there are many miracles in places of unbelief among churches that don't believe he's actually working, don't believe that he's actually moving in their midst, and they don't expect him to move. They, they don't expect him to act and change lives. God doesn't seem to show up at those times and places. But when a church is living by faith, believing that they're sent, and believing that God is going before them, and believing that God is working, that's when God tends to work in ways that we can see that are powerful and mighty and uh, incredible. Effective mission is us strategically and passionately and persuasively bringing the gospel to people. Strategic mission, effective mission is, is always brought about by God's working in lives, God redeeming people, God regenerating people, God um, giving them the spirit, God forgiving people. God's sealing people. Uh, it's, it's powerful stuff. This, uh, this, this passage here, uh, I think it was amazing. Amanda alluded to it in her prayer. But do you see what's happening with the church? Uh, a church isn't going to be effective in mission if it's not cleansed. A church is not going to be effective in mission if it's not right with God. Uh, we, we, we see, and maybe that's something in your life right now, that your mission is being slowed, your, your evangelistic outreach is being hindered because of sin in your life, uh, or allegiances to things that are evil. 
uh, Acts, Acts 19, again, uh, look what happened uh, after the uh, you know, seven sons were beaten up uh, in, in verse 17. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord was extolled, magnified. Also, so, so I mean, behind the scenes there, the, the, the fear of the Lord is, is, is there, and people are mag, they're magnifying Jesus. So people are, we're meant to understand that people are coming to faith. People are, are turning to Jesus as their Savior, as the gospels, at the same time the gospel's being preached, it's going out, and so they're connecting the dots, and they're coming to faith. But also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. What's going on here? The church is engaged in sin. The church is living as they had always lived before they came to Christ. You see, Paul went into a pagan culture. He went into a pagan place where people were used to magic, used to talismans, used to, used to these, these amulets that they were. They, they, they were used to witchcraft. They were used to sorcery. Uh, and, and people didn't think it was a bad thing because how do, I, how do I have a better business? How do I have a better life? How do I have a, a healthy kids? How do I protect myself? I'm going to use the means at hand. And so the pagan culture, the means at hand is to manipulate the spirits and use, use the, the magicians that are selling their wares. I'll give you a curse. Use the witches that are selling their, their, their wares. Yeah, I'll, I'll write a curse for you to protect you from him. I'll write a blessing for you that, that there's power in this because I sacrificed over this, this blessing. They were used to doing that. They came to Christ and they didn't stop. They came to Christ, and when we come to Christ, we're supposed to depend on Him as our Lord. We're supposed to trust in Him as our Savior. We're supposed to walk in Him with holiness, to believe that He's got me, that He's going to take care of me, that He's going to, he's going to you know, provide my, my financial resources. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and, and if you do, all these other things will be added to you, but you've got to put God first. But, but the, the Ephesians were like, yeah, I'm going to trust in Jesus, but... I'm going to not stop trusting in the exorcists. I'm not going to stop trusting in the magicians and the sorcerers that I have gotten used to. My, my dad, I remember him, you know, they, they would say, my dad, he used to pay that, that sorcerer, and I'm going to pay that sorcerer too to, to make sure my life is good. And so when they see that Jesus is lifted up, the church gets convicted of sin. They get convicted of their brokenness, their, their enslavement to worldly ways. Uh, maybe there's some Christians here today that are enslaved to horoscopes that trust in Jesus, but they're depending on that horoscope day by day to get them through. Maybe there's Christians here that trust in Jesus, but they're living by paying someone to tell their future on a regular basis. <laughs> Life doesn't change. People don't change. They come to this conviction that they are not clean before God, that they're living in sinful ways. They're relying upon evil things to accomplish their life, to live their life, and they come under repentance. They say, man, we, we've, got, we've got to confess our sins. Are there abiding sins that you're living with today that need to be expelled from your life, need to be removed from your life? Maybe there's some temptations that are standing there still. Are there temptations you need to get rid of in your home, get rid of in, in your relationships? That you just can't go there anymore if you want to honor Jesus because you fall again and again and again in the sinful ways. The Ephesians said, hey, we can't, they had these secret scrolls, they had these, these writings with incantations on them or prayers on them that they believe were powerful, written by the sorcerers and the witches and the people of the day that were evil. Um, they, 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 they said, I can't hold on to this anymore and trust in Jesus. I've got to go all in with Jesus i going to go all in with Jesus. I'm going to leave that sin behind, leave that slavery behind, leave that, that temptation behind. And in their minds, it meant burning all those writings. And 50,000, uh, you know, it says 50,000 pieces of silver. That's, you made about one of those a day. So 50,000 days of labor is what it added up to, that they burned it. Um, what do you need to burn in your life to be walking with Jesus? Effective mission is being used by God, and, and if you're 
getting tangled up in sin, getting tangled up in evil, getting tangled up in worldly thinking and worldly ways, it's going to keep you from the mission. What do you need to burn in your life and what's it going to cost you to get right with the Lord? It might be a costly thing that you give up. It might be something that you prize. It's an idol in your life that you're worshiping and you're bowing down to and you don't want to give up that idol. But to walk with Jesus, to be used by Jesus, you've got to get rid of it. What is that? They said yes. And then, man, that's where it, it, in verses 18 and 19, they counted the value of them. They found it 50,000 pieces of silver. They let it burn. And, and Luke says, and what happened? So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevailed mightily. When a church is on fire with the gospel, when they, they care about people more than themselves, they're trusting in the Lord, and they get rid of sin. They, they, they get rid of the encumberments and the entanglements of, of living in this modern world. No, I, I don't need that. They get rid of the temptation. They, they make themselves useful for the king, a useful tool, a useful instrument. God uses those kind of people, and lives are changed. People are transformed. People are brought to life eternally. By the gospel of Jesus Christ, may that be us. If you need to spend some time uh, repenting of something today, please sit for a while, pray for a while. If you need to talk to a pastor or a deacon, there'll be some deacons up here to meet you and receive you. Um, but please, let's move forward in the gospel passionately, strategically, humbly, depending on God, see Him get the glory. Please stand in His presence. God Almighty, we ask for your favor upon us. We ask for your blessing upon us, not for our sake, but for your glory and the betterment of others. Lord, uh, thank you for loving us so awesomely. Thank you for giving everything for us to redeem us and rescue us and bring us into your kingdom forever. Let us be those kind of people that follow your love and follow your model, follow your way of living for the benefit of us so that we might live that way for others. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Empower us, send us out again, and may, uh, may our lives be changed as we come before you and become your worshipers again, and may, may the world be changed, life after life be transformed and saved by your gospel. Thank you for meeting with us today, Lord. Thank you for coming and condescending to be in our midst, to love us and meet with your church. We love you too, Lord. Be glorified this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.